Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Well, as we consider not the world of our day, but first of all, the world of Jesus' day, it's encouraging to see how he went about accomplishing that which he now sends us forth to participate in, the reconciling of our generation to him. We are going to see our Master, our Lord, our Savior, actually beginning the outreach portion of his ministry. Look about you now. See what the church is today. Not just your church, but the church globally, and realize that what we are about to study is how it all came to be. Pastor Sam's message, Fishers of Men, covers the last half of Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12, and tells us how Jesus began to gather his disciples. Before we jump into the passage together, let me ask you a couple of questions. What if it was your responsibility and your ambition to reach the world for God. How would you go about it? Where would you start? How would you begin? Who would you engage and employ? And, and how would you train them? How would you provide for them? Because some of those questions are going to be answered for us in this passage. We are going to see our Master, our Lord, our Savior, actually beginning the outreach portion of his ministry. Now, it's not the very beginning because some amazing things have been taking place up to this point. But we're going to see how he goes about establishing his kingdom in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. By the way, I don't know if you're aware of how the world's really put together, I found a, something Gail Irwin had sent a while back. and It said if the world were 100 people, this is what the world would look like. There would be 57 Asians, 21 Europeans, 14 from North and South America, 8 Africans, 52 would be female, 48 would be male. 70% would be non-white, 30% then white. 59% of the entire world's wealth would belong to only six people, and all six would be citizens of the United States. 80 would live in substandard housing. 70 would be unable to read. 50 would suffer from malnutrition. One would be near death, another near birth. Only one would have a college education. Ninety-nine of them would not see this message because only one of them would have a computer. And God would still have loved them all and sent his son and then sent us. Well, as we consider not the world of our day, but first of all the world of Jesus' day, it's encouraging to see how he went about accomplishing that which he now sends us forth to participate in the reconciling of our generation to him. Well, there in verse 12 we read, first of all, when Jesus had heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light 
has dawned. We're first introduced here to the fact that John, John the Baptist that is, and we looked at him two weeks ago and his ministry two weeks ago, preaching the baptism of repentance. John had been put in prison. Couple side notes because they're important to us and the ministry God's called us to. John was a man who was absolutely humble. As his disciples came and recognized that the crowds were beginning to go to Jesus, that, that, you know, he was losing this great crowd that was gathered around him, he said, hey, he must increase and I must decrease. He was not only humble though, he was absolutely faithful. It didn't matter who he spoke to, he was always faithful to give them God's word for the day. And in that day, and at least through John the Baptist, the word was repent. That's what he told those who gathered together him at the Jordan River to be baptized. That's what he spoke to those who came just to observe. And at one point, Herod brings him in. Herod liked to hear from John, at least initially, early on. And John gets in the face of Herod because he had sort of um, put away his own wife and married his or taken his brother Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. And, and when John the Baptist got wind of it, he got in the face of King Herod and said, Hey, repent, repent. This is wrong. You, you should not have your brother's wife. Well, Herod wasn't all that fond of John's message. He had him imprisoned. And here's where I'm going with this. Our responsibility as believers is to speak the truth in love. Now, John was kind of coarse in his appearance and probably even in his presentation. But I believe he was absolutely motivated by love for God and for God's people, for the lost. And so his message of repentance was a necessary message. And sometimes we confuse people's response with being faithful in what God's called us to do. If, if John had done that, he would have thought, man, maybe I failed. Maybe I blew it. But you see, John wasn't in prison because he failed or blew it. He was in prison because he was faithful to the call on his life. It didn't matter to him that Herod was the king. He was living in an immoral, ungodly relationship. And he refused to compromise. Uh, John, that is. He said, repent. What you're doing is wrong. So, arrested, imprisoned, ultimately beheaded. And so, again, you can't really gauge how things go necessarily by the response of those that uh, you're ministering to. We see this same principle a little later on in the book of Acts. Peter on the day of Pentecost preaches. 3,000 people get saved. Well done. Good job. No doubt, we would say to Peter. But then this guy Stephen comes along, preaches a very similar message with the initial same response. They were cut to the heart, even as they had been when Peter preached. But then something changed. Instead of repenting, they gashed at him with their teeth or gnashed at him with their teeth. And then they took stones and actually stoned him to death. We would look at that and say, well, didn't really go that well. As an evangelistic campaign goes, not much of a success. But see, God wasn't looking on it like, well, what's going to happen? God already knows the outcome. We're called to be faithful in our generation to share the word, to do the work. And we're going to see some wonderful illustrations and examples of that 
in this particular passage. Now, there are four aspects that we'll consider together as we move from John the Baptist to our Lord and Savior. First is mission field, then the message, and then his ministers, and then his ministry. As to his mission field, you need to know it began at home as it does for each and every one of us, as it must for each and every one of us. Jesus first ministered there in Nazareth where he'd grown up. And I don't know what your personal experience has been, but I early on had really well, relatively little success, if success is you know sharing the message and getting the response you're hoping for. Well, I had no initial success in sharing the gospel. I shared it with the people I cared most about, first of all and foremost. And initially, my family, my friends, the people who knew me best were skeptical. That, that's the ones who were thought a lot of me. The ones who didn't think much of me, well, they were far from skeptical. They were just cynical and mocking the whole thing. Even my own wife watched for months to see if this was just a phase I was going through or if this whole Christian thing was real in my life. And it took months before she herself came to Christ. But my point is this. I knew that I was born again. I knew that I was a changed man. And my responsibility was to go and share that with the people closest to me. Jesus did that. And what was the response? Most in Nazareth had problems with Jesus' declaration of who he was and proclamation of what he'd come to do. And we're told that, you know, they their response was sort of, hey, we know this guy. We, he's the carpenter's son, isn't he? Even in his own family, those closest to him, if you read through the gospel accounts, you'll find one of the gospel writers telling us at one point that his family comes to rescue him and bring him home. They thought he'd lost his mind. And so if your family's responding like that or your friends are responding like that, no, well, you're not the first and you won't be the last. Oftentimes, our initial reception will not be what we hope it will be. Our thing is to stay the course, to share the word, to speak the truth in love, to be faithful wherever God has us. And it always begins at home. There on Gadara, as Jesus comes to this demoniac, many of you familiar with his story, perhaps some of you not. He comes uh, out of the, the water, Jesus that is, with his disciples. And there's this guy who's just severely demon-possessed. So many demons that they identify themselves as a legion. And uh, as Jesus decides, I'm setting this man free, and his situation could not have been more horrible, more horrendous. He lived in the tombs, in the graveyards. He had no family, no friends, no fellowship. He, he ran naked. They tried to chain him, and he'd break the chains, and he'd harm himself and was dangerous to others. But Jesus comes and speaks to the demons, drives out the demons, and, and they actually strike a bargain in the whole deal. They're like, oh, don't cast us into the abyss before the time. Allow us to go into the, the swine. Allow us to go into the pigs. And many of you, of course, familiar with what happens at that point. First case in the Bible of deviled ham, that the demons are cast out. They go into the pigs, the pigs run down and drown themselves in running off a cliff and into the ocean or into the Sea of Galilee. But, but here's my point. The guy at that point says, let me follow you. Let me come with you. And Jesus says, no, go home and tell him what wonderful things the Lord has done for you. 
that's always where it starts for us. It's got to start at home. And though we may not be well received initially, people know us, they watch us, they'll see us transformed. You know, in that first year after becoming a believer, I saw my sister and eventually my brother. I saw my dad and so many others close to me come to the Lord. Not because I was such a good Christian or doing so well, but because I was a real Christian and I was being transformed and that was undeniable. And so Jesus began where he wants all of us to begin at home. But we read in verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's called Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a population center. It was said in that day that Nazareth was the road to nowhere. It wasn't anywhere itself and it didn't lead anywhere. But Capernaum was on the Sea of Galilee. It was somewhere and it was the road to everywhere. It was a crossroads. So Jesus strategically chose that city to make it the base of his operation. We'll later see Paul, the apostle, doing the very same thing. Going to major population centers, sharing the gospel, knowing that not only would people be saved there, but that they'd move out from there and that they would have a radical impact on the communities around and ultimately the world around. So the process is simple. We begin where we are. That's what Jesus did. It's what he taught his disciples to do. It's what they did. It's certainly what he'd have us do. We begin in our Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's where the gospel goes. It starts where you are and then goes out from there. And ultimately, the goal is to get it into the whole world. Well, Galilee of the Gentiles, Jesus, you must be aware, taught his disciples to first go to the Jews, to the Israelites. Why? Because they were awaiting and had an expectation of a coming Messiah. So it always started with them. But when they either received or rejected, eventually the word would go beyond them and get to the Gentiles because God had chosen to use Israel as his ambassadors to the world around. And though they failed miserably in the Old Testament, he still continued to use them in the new and ultimately setting them aside for a season only to promise to re-graft uh, them in in the last days to bring them back and to use them once again. But, but in any case, he calls this place where he established his base, this city Capernaum, one of many large cities, large towns surrounding the Sea of Galilee. He calls it Galilee, this area of the Gentiles. Now, that's because they were literally surrounded by Gentiles. If you went north, it was the Syrians. If you went west, it was the Phoenicians. If you went south, it was the Samaritans. If you went east, well, you'd be in the Sea of Galilee. Another thing, very sort of trivial thing, but you may end up on a trivial show someday and, and uh, trivial trivia, same thing. But uh, one of those shows and, and the question could come up, was it a sea or, or, or was it, you know, a, a lake? Well, it's interesting that Matthew calls it the Sea of Galilee because he was sort of a local guy. But Luke, who was well-traveled, he always called it the lake. Why? He'd been on the sea. It's not that Matthew was confused. It's just this is as big as it got around there. And so it, this for them, well, it was the Sea of Galilee. So the picture that we develop is he starts at home and we're to start at home. And then you move to the 
wherever God has surrounded you with people, maybe your workplace, it may be school right now, that, that's going to be, in this situation, your Capernaum. Wherever you have opportunity to reach out, to influence others, you want to make sure you're doing that very thing. Now, Jesus' message, interestingly enough, given to us in verse 17, sounds very familiar. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's exactly what John the Baptist had been preaching. And now Jesus is preaching it. Why? Well, John's been put in prison. And uh, you need to know, it's sort of a, another side note, but it's important to what we're going to read in a couple of moments. Between verses 11 and 12, it's about a year gap. Matthew doesn't tell us everything that we can learn about the life of Jesus. You have to go to John's gospel to fill in that year, that gap. His Judean ministry, his ministry in the south. And during that time, he himself, as, as we know, was baptized by John the Baptist. The crowd started following after him. He began to have a lot of those we would call disciples. They were following Jesus. They were listening to Jesus. They were learning from Jesus. They were excited about Jesus. But, but we find in John chapter 6, verse 66, that when things got tough, when the teaching began to make demands on them, personally, intellectually, and in every other way, many of those who followed him turned away and, and followed him no more. So it, it's not enough to start well. You want to finish well. It's not enough to begin to follow Jesus. You want to make sure at the end of all this, you're still following Jesus. So he calls them to repent and tells them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A simple definition of repentance, if you weren't with us for our study on repentance and the baptism of repentance, would be to just turn from self and to turn to God. From selfishness, from self-consciousness, from self-anythingness, to just turning to God. It's a simple picture for us. If you're going the wrong direction and God says, hey, you're going the wrong way, then you turn around and you go God's way. You can get the tape on the intricacies of all that, but, but it's enough to know. If you recognize, if you're convicted, if in your heart you realize, man, I, I'm going the wrong way. Jesus, as John did, and as Peter later would, and Paul would, and they all did, and we continue to this day. He said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was in their midst because the king of kings was there in the flesh. It would eventually be in them personally. The kingdom was there in their midst. The kingdom would be within. And then the kingdom would ultimately come. We're still waiting for Jesus to return and establish his kingdom on this earth. But from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a command. It's not the first, it's not the last, but it is a command and an imperative. You've got to repent if you're going to walk with Jesus. You can't become a believer in Jesus and continue to go your own way and do your own thing. Well, Jesus then in verse 18, and it brings us to his ministers, and we're going to focus most of the rest of our time on these guys and what happens with them and how he prepares them. 
Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net by the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, you need to know, because it says immediately... They left their nets and followed him. You need to know these guys were already familiar with the ministry of Jesus. See, that gap becomes important here because if you're not aware that they had been listening to and observing the miracles of Jesus, they were already, they had already figured out, hey, this guy is someone special. There had already been testimony by some of them that this is going to be him. This must be the Christ. Otherwise, you get this idea in your mind that Jesus kind of calls them and like in some hypnotic trance, they're like, yes, master, we follow. It was nothing like that. They, they had a pretty good idea that Jesus probably was the Messiah. Now, they weren't all sure. It wouldn't be till much later where Peter at Caesarea Philippi would say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But Andrew, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter and says, We found him, the one of whom the prophet spoke, the Messiah, the Christ. We found him. And Andrew brought his brother Peter to Christ. This brings me to such an important point as it relates to our reaching out to the lost around us. If we were to judge these two brothers based on outward success, you know, the way we would measure things, we would certainly have to say, well, Peter was much more effective as an evangelist and witness. Because, let, let's face it, Peter's the one on the day of Pentecost that preaches and 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. Now, here's the deal, though. That's three and a half years after Peter was called to walk with and follow after Jesus. There was a long time in the life of Peter before he began to bear real fruit for Jesus. And it's an amazing and wonderful thing that 3,000 people could get saved through a guy like Peter. As you get familiar with him, you're going to agree, absolutely. But here's the deal. Andrew, from day one, was effective for Jesus. He Here's who Jesus is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He immediately goes and gets his brother and brings him to Jesus. In fact, every time we read of Andrew in scripture, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And it reminded me that, hey, not all of us, certainly most of us, are never going to experience that thrill that Billy Graham must feel when he gives an altar call and way more people than are gathered together right now get up out of their seats and begin to walk forward. That's got to be an amazing thing. Greg Laurie, young evangelist, well, compared to Billy Graham, Greg's just a year or two younger than me. So I like to think of him as a young evangelist. But, but he has that same gift, that same calling, that same anointing. Do you think for a moment when Billy Graham gets to heaven and, and Greg Laurie gets to heaven and then someone who, they're just effective, but they're one-on-one. -on -one. We had him, Danny Lehman. He's a guy who still carries a little pack of tracks in his, in his little pouch on his belt. And, and wherever he is, whoever he meets, he, he gives them a track and shares the Lord with them. Danny's led hundreds of people to the Lord, always one at a time, though. Do you think that God's got a special place for the evangelists like Billy Graham and Greg Laurie up there? Like, hey, here's your mansions. And Danny, you did a good job. And weren't really what those guys were. No, no. It, it's being faithful to 
speak the truth in love, to, to just share the message, to get out there and do the work in our generation. And you may be a person who's never led anyone to the Lord. And maybe you think, well, that's probably not my gift. I like to suggest that when Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy, he says, do the work of an evangelist. There's nothing to suggest that Timothy was a gifted evangelist, but Paul just says, do the work. What's the work? You share the gospel. You share what great things God has done for you. And then you just let God do his thing. We don't really bring anyone to the Lord. We give invitations. We give opportunities. But God is the one doing business with the hearts and souls of men and women and boys and girls. And so in any case, he calls these two and immediately at this point, they left their nets and followed him. Now, I like it. They were fishermen. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. You know, in some ways, one of the most amazing parts of the gospel is that Jesus Christ chose to use us, ordinary men and women, to reach the lost and help them be reconciled to him. Now, if we can see this as a privilege and actually our very purpose, we can answer that question the rest of the world always seems to be asking, why are we here? Join us next time as Pastor Sam completes his message, Fishers of Men. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.